Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hey guys, Buddy C. I put a note, uh, a verbal note at the end of the podcast that I'm I'm running that we have a lot of good resources in the notes, lots of good stuff. We've got a, a thought for the day calendar, a Course in Miracles calendar. Those are my personal calendars that I'm building out this year. So you guys are welcome to use those. There's a Sober Meditations app that I'm building that you guys are welcome to use. It's 100% free. I'm working through the steps in those right now. I'm up to, I'll do the seventh step, seventh, eighth, and ninth steps in April. There's a lot, over 200 meditations in there. Uh, they're contemplative, so each have a, a thought related to what it's talking about. All of that is in the notes, so take a look at that if that's something that interests you. The 74th chapter of the Tao Te Ching, today we're going to be talking about what I see in this is the fear of loss. Uh, Wayne Dyer talks about it as the fear of death. But I would like to think of it more more so about fear of death before we die, you know, and the things that we have that we deal with every day. And it's it's not by accident that we have this just when we have all the corona stuff going on. You know, and we were just talking about that before we started recording that there's a lot of fear more so than normal. And how and we're going to talk today about how that fear uh, controls us and we make decisions based on fear and it really hinders us when we make fear-based decisions. So that's going to be a lot of the conversation today. Okay, uh, chapter 74, uh, first translation. If men are not afraid to die, it is no avail to threaten them with death. If men live in constant fear of dying and if breaking the law means that a man will be killed, who will dare to break the law? There is always an official executioner. If you try to take his place, it is like trying to be a master carpenter and cutting wood. If you try to cut wood like a master carpenter, you will only hurt your hand. Second translation. If you realize that all things change, there is nothing you will try to hold on to. If you aren't afraid of dying, there is nothing you can't achieve. Trying to control the future is like trying to take the master carpenter's place. When you handle the master carpenter's tools, chances are that you'll cut your hand. Translation number three, if you do not fear death, then how can it intimidate you? If you aren't afraid of dying, there is nothing you cannot do. Those who harm others are like inexperienced boys trying to take the place of a great lumberjack. Trying to fill his shoes will only get them seriously hurt. And the fourth and final translation, if people's lives suck and they look forward to death, what good does it do to threaten to kill them? If people are afraid to die and the wicked are condemned to death, then who would dare to commit evil? But that doesn't mean you or I can just take life and death into our own hands. That'd be like walking up to an industrial buzzsaw and trying to use it without any training. We'd only end up hurting ourselves. Comments? Well, there's a lot in there. <laughs> Especially the especially the Stephen Mitchell translation I really like. There's a lot in there. Trying to control our fate, but 
trying to control our our death is like, and trying to control our life. It's the same thing. Can't control. There's things. Death is not something you can control. It is part of our experience, our human experience. And yes, we fear it, but we're, there's so many cultures that don't fear it and they live their lives knowing they're going to die. So they live much happier. They're much happier people from what I understand. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you look at people who have had near-death experiences, they they really lose that fear of death, and they start to live each day as if, you know, without that fear, and um, it really opens people up. I haven't seen that in alcoholics who have near-death experiences, though. They keep going on and keep doing the same thing. Well, I mean... Just pulling a few people. Yeah, I mean, near-death experiences have been seeing the light, gone through that tunnel. I probably don't, don't ever go to the light. If you see the light, go the other direction. <laughs> That's the only thing I know. <laughs> you know, and uh, I've got a friend here that actually had one of those, you know, where he's on the beach, you know, all that stuff, you know, all the, all the fuzzy warm stuff happened, you know, but for me, I'm really, I'm really wanting what I'm seeing in this is how do I die now? How do I die to myself? How do I die to um, my character defects? All the things in my life that inhibit me from um, from really turning my will and my life over to God's care. I keep going back to what we decided to do in the third step, which is to turn our will and our life over to the care of God. And what fears are keeping me, that's a form of death. And what fears are keeping me from doing that? Paul, do you have something? No, I was just going to say that that all goes back to surrender again, doesn't it? Um, We have to surrender our fear sometimes. For me, I have to do it on a daily basis. (laughs) It's a moment by moment for me, Paul. Yeah, exactly. I will will say one thing. Um, What I will... I watched my dad pass away a little over five years ago and that experience had a very profound effect on me. First of all, I was glad I went through it sober. I had five years of recovery under my belt at that time. And my dad, of course, had over 30 years of recovery. So it was a very, very profound experience and it really changed my whole outlook on death to see that while he was suffering, uh, he didn't, his passing was very peaceful okay. and I know not everybody gets to experience that, but um, to see this, this, you know, to see my father who I, you know, I idolized and um, was, a, was a big influence on my life to see him, how he handled death was a very, uh, very good experience for me. A, a very sad day, but also a very profound uh, day for me. It was good that you were sober to be able to experience that. The experience, I'm sure, would have been totally different if you wouldn't have been. Yeah, and I had and I had a very good conversation with him the night before he passed away. We didn't know exactly when he was going to pass away, but um, uh, luckily I got there. I was I, I had to come from out of town uh, that day, and I wasn't going to go over that night. And I decided to. I, something was telling me I, I better go, um, and I'm glad I did because we had a good conversation, and that was the last conversation I had with him. So. And I think that added to it too. But again, um, it really 
I, it's hard to put into words what, what kind of effect that had on me, but it just had a very, very profound effect on how I view death. I, I view it in a much different way now. I, I think you have to, the re, part of the reason we're so fearful is because we don't get to experience other people in our lives or, or their, their deaths have been traumatic or something like we haven't had a really good experience with death. That, and that's part of the reason why we fear it. I think but I know for me, it's partly why I fear. Death. I think you're right. As in, it's a cultural thing. I think other, mm-hmm. um, I know in the Buddhist tradition, it's not, uh, I don't think it's, from what I've seen, it doesn't seem to be something to be feared. They prepare for it. They even have people. I have a friend who does Reiki, who she, and she's Indian. She told me that, you know, she's done a lot of work on people who are dying, you know, and she does a lot of body work and healing um, to prepare them. We don't think of doing something like that in our culture. No, but in, in Buddhist culture also, they live their lives in such a way that they're going to have a really good death. They want to have a really good next life. Yeah, and it's determined on what happens right at the very end. In other words, you can, this is what surprised me, is you can live a totally pious, like, like very altruistic life, but if at the very end, at the moment of death, if you're doing something that's, you know, bad, whatever that is, you know, like selfish or hashed out in anger or something like that. That's what you're carrying on to the next life. <laughs> so that's I don't know any of that, Lala. All of that is contrived. No one has came back and said, okay, this is how it is. You know? Right. <laughs> it's all contrived. We so, don't yeah, it all is. So for me, I, I just, I don't even put any thought toward that, quite honestly, at this point. At this point, uh, if I'm doing what I need to do in this life and living a, a life that's uh, a surrendered life, I don't think I have to worry about whatever happens afterward. I'm going to be in, I, I have no control over that at all. So I try to just just let that. And, uh, my friends, my Christian friends, you know, they're all the time. I said, listen, let's not let's let's talk about now. I said, yeah. I mean, I, God's now, you know, not then and not because you, know, you don't know. I said, you don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea what's going to, you know. And so uh, humans need to have some form of, I want to say, control over what they think is going to happen. Now. We have to have we keep striving for answers. What happens when we die? Maybe we we're striving for control. That's what I I said. We're striving for some control over the outcome of or whatever. Yes. What happens? And it's so odd that we cannot control death or what happens after it. Just got to get to an attitude like, all right, I'm going to die. So who cares what happens after? Yeah. It's acceptance, really. People try and control it. Oh, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to live a long life. And then those are the people who get hit by a bus. <laughs> Rob, what you got? So, um, a year ago, I would have had a little bit different philosophy on this. On uh, October 15th of 19, a gentleman decided to completely run a red light and hit me, T-bone me doing 55 miles an hour. Um, looked at the picture of the truck, my truck, once. That's the last I can ever look at that. Um, it, we're, we're just a candle in the wind. 
We, in, in light of eternity, we've got seconds. We've got a quarter of a second. And the more time that we spend thinking that we've got more than that and we've got any kind of control at all besides what we're going to wear today, there's an act of futility. Right. And I've, I'm, I'm talking experientially, emotionally. It's choking me up. Um, we're here as a gift. We've got this, we got this moment as a gift, and that's it. So we can either choose to be angry, discontent, bitter, resentful, screaming and kicking and making everybody else miserable, including ourselves, or we can try to work on ourselves and figure, you know what, I don't got this, my alcohol or my life. This is, I, I just got this second to live in. So let's, let's try to be better. Let's try to be better humans and not, and not be so mean to each other. That's all I got. Thanks, Rob. Really good. Thanks, Rob. Marla, let's, uh, let's look at our Wayne Dyer real quick before you have to go. All right. I, I am going to eliminate the, the verses, uh, the, uh, his talking about his tennis game, because I don't care. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You um, want to read the verse, or do you want to just move into the... I'll text? just move into it. Just, it's living with, living with no fear of death. What happens when we die? Is death the vehicle that returns us to our source of being? Or does it signify the end of consciousness and all of life? One thing is absolutely certain. This subject is an absolute mystery to us. Yep. Some Tao scholars have referred to death as a place of oneness, wherein time, space, and all of the 10,000 things cease to have meaning. Thus, what dies is our human identity. There's still someone underneath the external layers, though. So when you know and understand who that formless someone is, your fear of dying will evaporate. Our soul. He's talking about our soul. You can live on the active side of infinity by knowing your infinite Tao nature, which probably means that you'll alter the way you think about birth, life, and death. Move from wanting to see permanence in your life to realizing that all things change due to the nature of this being an ever-modifying world. There's nothing external to hold on to, after all. The moment you think you have it, it becomes something else. This is true for your earthly packaging, as it is for your worldly treasures. Whether you realize it or not, the body you were in when you began reading this essay is different now, and it will become different again the moment you attempt to make it remain the same. This is the nature of our reality. If you can get comfortable with it, you'll reduce and ultimately eliminate your anxiety regarding mortality. As Lao Tzu puts it, promises, if you're not afraid of dying, there's nothing you cannot achieve. That, that's pretty big. That, that's the whole point, Marla, yeah, of, of dying now, you know, is that, that our fear of dying is the problem. It's not that we're not, and it's not that things in our life don't have seasons. But it's the fear of loss that's the issue. It's not the fact that we're not going to die and not that relationships don't die and businesses don't die and, and, you know, all those different things in our life. It's the fear of the death that's the problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah, especially now. 
your Tao essence has to be infinite because it came from a world of infinite possibilities. You are not a thing that's solid and permanent. In fact, there's nothing like that in the world you incarnated into. You are real, and what's real never changes. Yet your real self isn't in this world, but it is part of you that is the Tao. When you live in harmony with the infinite Tao, death is irrelevant. That would be great to achieve. So you know your highest self and understand that there's nothing you can't achieve. The second part of this verse deals with killing or taking another being's life. Lao Tzu is quite specific here, saying there's always a lord of death. At the moment of your coming into the world, everything you needed for this journey was handled by the lord of life and death. Just as your birth was Tao energy, your body type, Skin color, eyes, ears, and every other physical aspect of you are expressions of the Tao. This includes your death, which has been choreographed, determined, and allowed to unfold in divine timing. In other words, killing isn't your job, not ever, not of another person or any other being. Since death is as much a part of the Tao as life, it must be allowed to be in accord with nature, not performed as an ego decision. Yeah, there's many things that come up in my head when he talks like that, you know, about not killing things. Because I'm going to kill that spider. Well, I was thinking more of how death influenced the decisions I made in life. Like, for example, you know, my fear of loss fear of death in business might control how I make a, a job that I would apply for because I might be afraid of changing jobs. I mean, even down to things like that or, or in relationships that I might not be honest with my significant other entirely because I'm afraid they might leave me or something, you know, something of that nature. So I was thinking of the death on the form of the things that are now more, you know, of, of, in our life, in our, you know, in our day-to-day activities. Like our character defects that you were talking about. Yes, yes. And our daily decisions that we make, you know, and all of our interactions. How much fear and fear of loss goes into how we interact with the people around us? For a lot of us, it's a lot of fear. We're afraid, you know, we're, I'm afraid of this. Anytime I start a sentence with, well, I'm afraid this will happen or that, I need to look at what I'm talking about because sometimes it's more than just a, a phrase that we use, you know? So I didn't go on. Okay. Unless you want to go on. There's only one thing. There's one thing I want to, I would like to talk about here. And this is discontinue fearing your death. It, It makes as much sense to think about your death in fearful terms as it does to perceive the color of your eyes in such a way. And think about this in not only your final, what we think of as death from this life, but, you know, in the death of the things in our life. Uh, The Tao is still in it all, birth, life, death. Um, Examine the ways that you kill. Make a decision that you're no longer going to serve in the capacity of executioner, including even the smallest and seemingly most insignificant. He goes to creatures. Yeah. the thing that I like the the executioner, if you go back to his his re, his translation of this, if you realize that all things change, 
there is nothing you will try to hold on to. If you're not afraid of dying, there is nothing you cannot achieve. I'll read the whole thing, then I'll stop to share. There's always a Lord of death. He who takes the place of the Lord of death is like one who cuts with a blade of a master carpenter. Whoever cuts with the blade of a master carpenter is sure to cut his own hands. In other words, don't be the Lord of death. Okay. And what I think of, and let me, let me, I'll copy this and put it in the, uh, in the chat for you guys. Ah, there it is. Okay. What I think of with this, if you look at the second translation, Stephen Mitchell talks about where it starts talking about the executioner. He doesn't talk about the executioner. He says trying to control the future is like trying to take the master carpenter's place. So he relates that to controlling the future. So the executioner, the one that's responsible for life and death, is the same as trying to control the outcome of our life, trying to control the future. So I was thinking about that, and I said, wow. I said, that puts it in a whole nother light, that this is all about us being afraid and trying to control the future because of fear. It's all back about fear again. And all the decisions that I make based on fear. Trying to get, Why do I try to control the future? Because I'm afraid one of two things are going to happen. Either I'm going to lose something I have, or I'm not going to get something that I want. That's the basis of all fear. And if I look at all of my character defects, I look at anything in my life that I see, thanks, Marla, anything in my life that I that I feel is wrong or, or uh, incorrect. And any way that I act out in resentments or selfishness or dishonesty or fear, uh, if I look deep in that resentment and selfishness and dishonesty, I'm going to see fear. Fear is going to be behind that, no matter what it is. That's why letting go and turning our will and our life over to the care of God is so important. Any comments? Yeah, it it just strikes me like I'd heard these concepts my whole life growing up, but they are words on a page. He who gives up his life gains his life. He who gives up his life for another, that's the greatest, one of the greatest gifts. It's like, it's like we've got to die to self to live now. And I don't know how, I don't know how I didn't understand this. I, I don't, it took it took the sobriety, it took the alcohol, and I thank the alcohol. I know it sounds stupid, but I, I thank that whole dark dumpster fire for bringing me to this point. And then the, and then the wreck bringing me to this point. Um, it really is the George Costanza principle. Whatever we think intuitively with our ego, ourself, our natural gut reaction is wrong. I'm going to say all the time and just do the opposite and we'll probably be okay. Thanks, Rob. Anyone else? So I I have a question. So where, where does this fear fit in? I think, I think it's healthy to have some, to have a little bit of fear. Uh, 
for instance, like, okay, I, I, I'm not afraid of dying, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go run out into traffic. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know what, what, how this, how that fits into what we're talking about here, but I think a little bit of fear. But that's different kind of fear though, Paul. That's, okay. that's caution more than fear. Okay. That's a practical In fear. My, maybe, is that's, well, and for me, it's, it's like, for example, I ride a motorcycle. Okay. If I, if I start getting tired on a rally, I'm going to stop and take a nap. I'm not going to keep riding if I'm sleepy. You know, if I see an elephant every now and then, it's okay. But when they tie together, then I know I need to stop. You know, that's my limit. You know, and I know I got to, I have to stop. It's really before that. But what I'm saying is I know my limits. And so I'm cautious. I don't get on my motorcycle and ride everywhere without my gear and Kevlar and all those things. Because I know that if I were to have an accident, I'm not above having an accident, but if I were to, you know, it would hurt me worse. So I wear my stuff when I ride. So that's just practical common sense. I don't get on my motorcycle and I'm nervous because I'm afraid someone's going to hit me. That would be the fear we're talking about. Okay. I, and I, I just wanted to kind of tie it in with this coronavirus thing because I think, you know, if you just take some simple precautions, wash your hands, you know, co- cover your mouth when you cough and sneeze and that kind of stuff, I think that would go a long way. And th- that's stuff you should be doing anyway, but I think, it, you know, so, yeah, I okay, I understand now. It's, it's, it's more of a, uh, uh, you know, but it's, there's still a little bit of fear in there, I think, but but it's... I don't know if Paul will ever be 100% free of fear uh, because all of my character defects stem from that. If I look deep enough, you know, when I'm doing my fourth step, when I look down and drill down to what's behind my behavior, if I look far enough, there's going to be fear back there somewhere. Uh, But the goal is to be free of those things. And I think that I know I can be freer than I am at the moment. And I'm freer today than I was yesterday so i'm working toward that freedom um because really the 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 and it's interesting how fear goes into all these decisions that we make a lot of times we don't even realize the fear is there but the more we can identify and surrender that fear and let go of that fear um because what stephen mitchell was talking about if you realize that all things change you will, there's nothing you will try to hold on to if you aren't afraid of dying. In other words, if you aren't afraid of something changing, there's nothing you can achieve. Could you imagine having a, uh, uh, I mean, if you listen to any of the self-help guys and they're talking about achieving your goals, blah, blah, blah. One of the first things they talk about is the fear that you have to get past. Uh, in whatever goal it is that you're talking about. So th- that fear of failure, that fear of success, all those things. So, you know, this fear is so big and this trying to control the future because of your fear, I think is what he means about the executioner, about that whole last phrase is just about, hey, you're going to screw up if you try to control the future through your fear. And it's interesting how, if I'm loving 
and caring for someone, I have to be in the moment to do that. If I'm fearful, it's normally always I'm in the past, I'm guilt, I feel guilty about something or shame, or I'm in the future trying to control the outcome. I'm worrying that something's not going to happen a particular way. If I knew everything was going to be okay and I was confident that I wouldn't be afraid of the future. I wouldn't be so prone to try to control every little thing out of fear. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't plan for the future. That doesn't mean you can't have some goals in my thinking. But what it means is I do not make decisions because I'm afraid. I don't say, oh, we can't do that because we might not have the, or, you know, the, the decisions out of fear that we can make. And we know when we're making decisions out of fear and when we're just making common sense decisions. We know that. Um, weird situation this week. Uh, my parents are getting up there, 81 and 76. And I met with uh, an elder care lawyer um, on my own for them. And I knew that I was going through some fear-based anxiety because as I walked through the doors of this, this um, consult, right here, I, my body is the best indicator of what's going in between, going on between my ears. I'm tense, and I'm, and at least I'm getting conscious enough to go, okay, what's going on, Rob? What, what are you doing? And, and it really, it was the fear of of letting my sisters down who are pushing me to get some things in place. I'm the oldest. The fear of my mom being mad at me because I'm getting into her affairs. It's the fear of my parents dying. It's the fear of, of, of just not doing the right thing, doing everything perfect and performing my role perfect. And I got some relief um, from that, whereas before I would have drank. I would have gotten out of that meeting and I would have come home. I wouldn't have realized. I wouldn't have been able to go through that. And I was talking to my youngest sister, and she's just going nuts. And I don't know where it came from. Maybe you're starting to sink into me, buddy. But I went, man, Michelle, you must be in a lot of pain and must be really afraid of losing mom and dad. Because she was just, we got to do this, we got to do this. Like, well, no, they, they still have their faculties. We can't just come in and take over and put them in a, a cage. <laughs> you know, they're, they're humans, right? So, and that, boom. And every other time I work with her, I would say, quit stressing out. You're over-dramatizing this. And then, boom, you know, it would be this whole hurricane nightmare and 15 calls later, and it was just this drama. And, you know, this stuff really works. I'm not saying I'm getting this, like I'm perfect, but, um, man, it it's a whole lot better than the alternative, right? And, and you're right, buddy. It really did all come down to fear-based mental gymnastics, uh, whatever this crazy train that I have. But look at what you did, Rob, just naturally to overcome that fear. You consoled your sister and showed your sister love instead of resisting and fighting her. So... That was where I was heading after this was how do we, what do we do about this fear? I mean, it's one thing to say we have it and we don't need to, you know, we need to realize that all things change. Okay. How do we do this practically? 
right? What do we do about the fear? We have the fear there. So what do we do? For me, what works is introducing love in any way that I can, introducing kindness any way that I can. I start by opening my heart to whatever it is that I'm fearful of. I send kindness to any people that are associated with that fear in any way, whatever that fear may be. Every per- Usually there's people involved in that in some way. It's never just me and the fear. It's usually other folks. If there's not someone else involved, then like, let's say it's a fear of financial insecurity. Very common fear for me. I have people who I know that experience the same fear that I pray for. And I pray for them to be free of that and for God to work in their life and show them their part in their finance. I pray for them the very same thing I would want for me. And try to pray as earnestly, not just a token prayer, you know, not a not a three second token. I mean a real just as if if I were to pray for myself, what that would look like. But I'm praying for them just as earnestly and desiring just as earnestly for them as I would for me. And when I start doing that, when that prayer, when that fear pops up, within depending on how deep the fear is. Usually within a day, two days. Now, I've had some things that lasted for a week or two. I had one thing that lasted a month that I had to deal with. As an individual, I was having difficulty getting over some anger and resentment with. But eventually it left, and I realized I don't feel that way about them anymore. It's not something I made happen, but it, it went back to a fear that was under that. So what I'm saying is if I can introduce kindness, I can introduce love, In some way, that always works for me, some way that I'm giving. This is the 81st chapter. Um, The sage does not accumulate anything, but gives everything to others. Having more, the more they give. So the sage has more because he gives. So if I want more peace in my life, I need to give peace. If I want more love in my life, I need to give more love. Um, It's just just that basic principle that we see everywhere. I had this, too, from Derek Lynn. He says the concept of the master executioner in this chapter mirrors the heavenly net concept from the previous chapter. There are different ways of describing the same karmic mechanism that seems to pervade reality. So you remember last, was it last week? Yeah. Heaven's net casts wide, though its meshes are coarse, nothing slips through. He says it's the same concept as this master master executioner is. I thought that was good because I didn't think about that when I was looking at this. It is the same providence of the Tao, the same providence of God that, is controlling, you know, in this situation, uh, is, you know, taking care of all of this. And then when we try to step in and try to control through our fear, then there's always issue with that. And that's going to cause us to hurt ourselves because we're not equipped to do that. Comments? Tina? Um, 
Yeah, I had, um, when you said, um, how do we learn to die today? And in combination with, and this is something that's always kind that's always made me question. My first thought was trying to control our fate and trying to control, um, our spiritual awakening, maybe, um, because that's the ultimate thing for me is how do I be rid of all these things? And, you know, right after it said trying to play the master or cut our own hand and how detrimental it is if we try to mess with that, um, because I think it's like trying to get in the way of somebody hitting their bottom. I thought about Rob's friend. You know, if we try to get in there with our own will, that that could hinder his progress and what what maybe the plan is for him. Um, and that's if you even believe in that there's a plan for somebody. But again, it it rose up when. Um, it's always risen up for me when people say pray for somebody else and pray for them to get the things that you want right after the Tao says give away everything. You know, to me it feels like you're trying to get in there because, you know, I've done this before. It says in the big book to to pray for pray for somebody else two weeks, the whole the whole thing you're supposed to do. And I think, but isn't that just saying force your will upon somebody else for two weeks and hopefully they'll get it. And isn't that, is that the same as dabbling with, of trying to play God? Good question, Tina. The way I'd say, I don't know if I can explain how I look at this. Um, when I pray for someone else, for me, I am not trying to control their life. I am hoping for good things for them the same way that I expect as I walk this life for my life to improve and improve in my level of acceptance by improving, changing me. So in the same way, when I pray for other people, it's not me saying, God, I want you to do this in their life. I think this is what you should do. For me, it's more of just sending them love. It's it's not specific things like, let's say they're sick, God heal them, okay? That kind of a thing. It's God, I send them love. I'm, uh, I, I pray that they learn how to be accepting of their life. Just the things that I want. That's what I want for me is I don't want things to be great or be bad. I want them to be... I want me to be accepting of what's going on in life and be happy regardless. I believe that's possible. And I pray that same thing for them. So it's not particulars that I pray. Uh, And I know what that prayer does. That prayer does nothing for them in my thinking. Absolutely nothing. But it does everything for me. Because for me, that when I'm considering someone other than myself, that is when I start to change. And then that's when I start to let go of these things that I can't change. Does that make sense, Tina? Yeah, it does. It, it does. It, it, it's it just, I still get hung up on 
you know, about somebody hitting their bottom, about maybe they need to experience five more years of complete selfishness. And if that's their life pattern, then what is me wishing them to feel a certain way accomplishing besides my will? I've always been stuck there. It's just something that's been reoccurring to me lately on complete surrender. Well, you know, this is the thing about that too, Tina. If you're praying for someone, the only the person that it's going to affect is you, not them. So if you're, let's say they're hitting their bottom or you, you don't want to get in the way of that, uh, you're praying for them. If it's If you're praying for them, is going to help you to accept they're where they're supposed to be, just like yeah. you're where you're supposed to be. So yeah, and that and, and that makes sense to me. Also, it was like when um, you and I and Omar were at that at the refuge recovery meeting, and I said, "What if that really works? The more we pray and love others, that our hearts are filled with it um, even more." And I can see how that would definitely, and I've had to change the way I pray, just, you know, just send love to them, like radiate love to them, send love, love, love. But I, I've had a hard time when I've gotten specific on saying, God, you know, please heal them or God, please um, let them see the light. Let them see your love. Let them know you're there. I I felt I've, I've prayed for comfort. Like, I hope they know that you're comforted but at the same time. And, you know, I get fixated on stuff, too, where it's like, is that even the right thing to do? Is What if that's not the will for them? You know, maybe they need to feel alone and and unloved to move. Well, you could just pray the will of God for them. Yeah, and that's usually like whatever God is, whatever is supposed to happen. But then, isn't that doesn't that go without saying? It does. But, but does God it, need to hear me say that to no, you remind do. Him? You may need to hear yourself say that because that's a, yeah. that's really a, a form of surrender. Because when you're saying, you know, you pray the will of God for them, you're giving up your control over the situation. Right. Yeah. So it goes yeah. back to you again. It's still benefiting us. Yeah. Every time, you know, every time. Oh, yeah. it just, just clicked for me. Yeah. The reason I'm having so much anxiety over this train wreck I'm watching is because internally at some point I'm afraid that this could happen to me. Wow. That's good. Yeah. I have to admit there's some of that in there. Yeah. So don't screw up, guy, because that's going to make me screw up and I don't want to drink again. And I'm back to I'm back to square one, back to fear again. Yeah, yeah. Really, you know, we we think all these, all this. We think we're here to help other people, and we are. But in our helping other people, we're the one that gets helped every time, every time. Brian, what do you have? Well, I was thinking uh, the conversation is really good, and it's caused me to. Think of a guy that I knew in California. He loved the abalone diet. And several years ago, he had a heart attack while he was abalone diving, and they saved him. And they pulled him off, you know, onto the shore and got him the help he needed. And then about uh, five years ago, he went out. This was, you know, many, many years ago that he had his first bout with a heart attack. 
he went out and um, he had another heart attack, but this time he didn't make it. But he was doing something he loved. And I don't think he ever had any fear of having that happen to him again, even though he experienced it. But anyways, the fear that I saw happen as a result of his death was the family was not prepared for his death. He owned a business and he had people working for him. And some of the guys that I was sponsoring worked for him. And, you know, one of them went out and drank over it and blew up his life again. He was not prepared for that death. So it just, it it reminds me of how precious life is moment by moment. You know, this whole experience of enjoying every moment that we have, um, you know, trying to help other people, being of service to other people. I think that's when I'm the most uh, connected is when I'm giving myself to others without any thought. It just happens. So another experience that I had over the years was uh, one of my sponsors asked me to write out my fear list, and I did that. And and then uh, he asked me to do this prayer, God, if it be your will, bring this on. Like I had on losing my job, being broke, living homeless, all of that. And then I, I have two kids, and, you know, one of them was – fear of one of my kids dying and he asked me to pray that prayer if it be your will bring this on and oh you want to talk about anger I called him I was like how the can you ask me to pray this prayer and it was just another form of not being in control of something but my goodness I couldn't say that prayer for a couple of days and then I realized I'm trying to control the life of my kids as well so so it wasn't you were praying God to kill your kids. It was that you was praying the will of God with your kids, that if it be your will, whatever, you would be okay with that. And that's where it was. It had to be separated for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't asking that that happened. It was just accepting the fact that I have no control. It was another form of a surrender of, you know, not having control over something. How specifically did he tell you to pray that prayer? What exactly was your prayer? He said, God, if it be your will that one of my children die, bring it on. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a hard. That is difficult. And then it just, it, but it was in the process of doing the steps with him. Right, right. And the fear part, it was just on the fear part, just looking at that and you know, we, I had so many fears and it was easy to do the, you know, trivial ones and, you know, losing a job, whatever, relationship or whatever. But those two with my my son and my daughter, oh, you want to talk about some tears that just came out as a result of that. And, and it, it just caused me to pause and realize that guess what? It's not about Brian anymore. So. Wow. Wow, that's good. That that's not that's similar, but this is not as strong as that. Mm. Was was God get me sober regardless of what it takes or whatever it is that we're talking about, regardless of what it takes. But that's not as strong as what you what you were asked to pray. Um, that's that's good. Thank you, Brian. I'm gonna make a note of that. I'm gonna use that sometime. So. Your sponsor used that in association with your fear list. So, just in the fourth step, right, right. Fears. It, it wasn't, you know, anything other than just looking at all the fears that I listed that came from within. So, 
That's good. That's good. I'm going to add that to something I use. Thank you. Ooh, that's good. Uh, let me look at my notes real quick, guys, see if I forgot anything. Uh, fear of loss in relationships, business, job. Does this cause me to take attempts to control? What I compromise to keep, I'm going to lose. It's all about acceptance. How does your feelings of death influence your life? Are you harmed when you control out of fear? And yes, all the different ways I try to control out of fear. Anything else, guys? Okay, y'all have a great week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this podcast with your friends in recovery. 